How many of you are uh, like me and you smile during parts of that? Parts of it just make you feel a little bit tired already? (laughs) Those days. I identified with Maggie most when she was in the middle of a crazy, busy, totally normal day trying to pray, trying to link what she was doing nonstop with a God that she couldn't see, that she somehow was coming to believe in more and more. It sounded to me as though she was doing that prayer better because she had done that prayer before. I bet you've done it before too. Let's pray together the way Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, give us this day glory forever. Amen. How many of you have prayed that prayer before? That's okay. I used to think the repetition led to ruts, led to rotes, but I've started to believe that done the right way, repetition reminds me that this prayer was not my idea in the first place. It's not something I made up. And when we commit something to our memory, we also commit something to our heart. It sinks in, it it soaks in. And even though it can feel like a boring part of a church liturgy, we're supposed to say this prayer together because when we join our voices with others, we're reminded that being a Christian is too tough to go alone. So we learn even as we pray. You know, when the disciples asked Jesus about prayer, he didn't tell them to go off and sit quietly going, mm, until something spiritual came into their minds. He, Jesus didn't ask, well, how do you feel about God? Let's talk about that. Instead, he taught them to say, our Father. So by learning to pray the Lord's Prayer, pray the way that the Lord taught us, Do we become better than other people? I I think not. I think there is no danger that I am going to become better than my neighbors. I think there is a hope that I will, by praying, become a Christian, a a follower of Jesus. Jesus' prayer witnesses to what God does with ordinary, broken, sinful people just like you. I mean, just like me. Just like us, together. And every time this church gathers, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, when we eat and drink the Lord's Supper with Jesus, we show that Jesus continues to be known by the terrible company that he keeps. Jesus doesn't invite the best and the brightest and all the saints of heaven. Instead, he seems to choose people like you and me. And then he teaches them to talk. Prayer, somebody said, is bending our lives in a Godward direction. Prayer bends our lives toward God, and habits are one of the ways that you teach a tree how to bend. 
You keep it doing that. We've come to what I think is the most dangerous, most revolutionary part of the prayer that Jesus taught his followers. He said, when you pray, pray this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The reason it's dangerous is because Jesus is asking them to take the Pledge of Allegiance. They've done it all their lives. But he's saying, no, no, I want you to take a new Pledge of Allegiance. One of the great joys of my life, I I spent a couple years in Washington, D.C., and uh, was asked frequently to pray at public events, you know? Give us a little prayer to start us off. Well, one of those was at the Navy Chapel. It was called a naturalization service. A naturalization service is where people from around the world come to the United States and take courses, and at a time, they come together and they give their pledge of allegiance for the first time to be an American citizen. It is one of the most powerful things. I kid you not, if you have a chance, go. The last one I went to in D.C., I I sat next to a, a senator who had been a senator longer than I had been alive, and he was in tears. Because what happens is that at the end of the service, they ask people to rise and take their oath. It's an old, almost ancient oath. And it starts like this. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all all allegiance. Don't you love that? I renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince or potentate or state of whom I have been a subject or a citizen that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. And citizens from Cuba are saying it in broken English, and citizens from Iran are saying at last, and citizens from Colombia and Ghana are saying, this is the country I want to be part of. They have to learn a new language. You can't say the oath in another language. You have to say it in English. They have to learn the laws of our country. They know the laws of the Constitution and our government better than you do. They really do. They have to take a course that they have to pass as adults. And most of all, they come from places where they don't trust the government and they turn and they say, we honor a different king, a different country. When Jesus says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and he teaches us to pray it, it is a pledge of allegiance. By the way, it's also the most used phrase in the New Testament. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is the most used phrase in the New Testament. Over and over, people are drawn to the idea that we live one place and we are called to live in the kingdom of God. That was the message of Jesus, what's called the good news. It says, and Jesus went abroad preaching the good news. The time has come. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Believe that there is good news. There's another kingdom. Join that kingdom. Believe it 
And then repent, he said. Repent because when you join a new country with its oath of allegiance, you are renouncing an old country. We don't often think of it that way. I can be a good American and a good Christian. Well, that in one sense is true. But when we say the Pledge of Allegiance, we say this is the most important thing. And when we say the Lord's Prayer, we say, this is my kingdom. Above all others, this is my kingdom. And it is not sedition, but it is priority. Repenting our old oath releases our desires to win by the rules of this kingdom here so that I can show people the kingdom of Jesus. If nothing else, when you pray, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, what what you're saying is that God is not a genie in a bottle. We often open the prayer bottle and say, God, help me out here. And this says, thy will be done, means God is not a genie in a bottle. Your wish is not his command. In fact, here it says, his command better be your wish. So when pray this, do it carefully. Thy kingdom come. Kingdoms have boundaries. There are some who are citizens, and there are others who are not. God's kingdom is, is different than the borders of the world. Gender and class and race and economics and accent do not matter in the kingdom. Here's a kingdom open to everybody with no care for the borders of the world. Our only boundary that matters is where we say, thy will be done. That's what a kingdom literally is. A kingdom is where the will of the king is being done. Thy will be done. Remember when Jesus gets tempted? Jesus, the devil takes Jesus up to the top of the mountain and said, all the kingdoms of the earth, they can all be yours. The reason that the the devil says that is because Satan is involved with all the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus is there to start a new one. The followers of Jesus, they were longing for somebody to come and be a king. At that time, they're fed up with every king that you could know. The Romans were brutal oppressors, King Herod's dynasty was a joke. It was time for the real God, the real king, to show up like he promised, to take power and glory, to claim a kingdom for God. So whenever we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are saying something that we are not the people who are just here as good little Americans until we die and then we become good little Christians in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven choose. The the problem was that the disciples didn't understand the kind of kingdom that Jesus wanted to set up. And a lot of us don't either. Over 2,000 years, people have had different ideas of what is the kingdom of heaven. They fall into three rough camps. Let me go Presbyterian on you for just a second and lecture. Most of history, in most places, when somebody talks about the kingdom of God, they talk about the end of the world, the apocalypse, that the kingdom of heaven will come and shatter the world. It's the most common and it's the most ignored in our day. Most of us really want Jesus to come back at a convenient time for us. 
The second idea of the kingdom of heaven it is, is that it is the kingdom of the heart. Remember, Jesus says the kingdom is inside you. The kingdom is within. For many people, that means when we hear the word of God preached and known and believed, we start the kingdom because it's in us. And whenever a couple of us are gathered together, there's the kingdom. But it's not a real kingdom. And the third idea of the kingdom of God, when he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is that he was not kidding. He meant the kingdom should come in time and space and history. That the princes of this earth and the peasants of this world would together form a kingdom here. Where is the kingdom of God for you? Dallas Dallas Willard says, the kingdom is in all the places where we spend our lives. The kingdom is in our homes or it's not. It's on our playgrounds and our streets and our workplaces and our schools or it's not. These are the places we are asking for God's will to be done. God's rule to become. When we pray, we're asking that beyond our knowledge, beyond our will, even beyond our desire, a lot of times the idea that God's kingdom would come would be very uncomfortable for me. I would turn from a winner into a loser. I would turn from somebody on the inside to somebody on the outside. I would turn from one of the good guys in our society to one of the people that Jesus says, and you, what are you doing today? Where is the kingdom? Last night I looked over and I saw a gentleman over here who is trying to make a restaurant business go. Tough job. And when he invites people into his place of business, he is trying to establish a new tone. i got to tell you, people that come to dinner and they don't have the right meal, they don't act the right way. How does he make the kingdom happen? And over here and over there were two flight attendants. And i got to tell you, if you think people are not at their best, put them on a little box of metal and throw them six feet in the air, six miles up. They don't act like the kingdom of heaven. They are supposed to be bringing the kingdom to that place. How does the kingdom come? How does the kingdom get here? Well, I I think Jesus tells us it starts with a prayer. Pray like this, thy kingdom come, because when you pray thy kingdom, first, you recognize there is a kingdom, and second, every time you do it, in a fresh way, you pledge allegiance. We did not teach our kids in kindergarten and first and second grade to say the Pledge of Allegiance and never ask again. It's something they renew. When we, um, when we say thy kingdom come, you know what we're doing? It's the same thing we do in better words. I love Christmas carols. I wish we could sing Christmas carols all year. One of my favorites is joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Because when earth receives her king, let every heart prepare him room. That's how the kingdom grows. And what happens when the kingdom grows is that heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world. When we say, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, we're placing our bets. We're declaring a new loyalty. It's not about my insurance business anymore. 
It's not about my retirement anymore. It's not about my kids anymore. It's about serving the king, singing a different song. So if I want to know how the kingdom comes, I look for it and I pledge allegiance to it. And then the kingdom starts to come because when people recognize it and pledge allegiance to it, they get together. They form a colony of the kingdom. That's how the Apostle Paul describes that little house church in Greece, in Philippi. He says, you are a colony of heaven, a little gathering of the citizens of heaven in Greece. We are a colony of heaven in Edina. People who are saying we are citizens of the king. And when we gather together, we start to act differently than the world around us. Because we are citizens of heaven. The Apostle Paul nails it when he tells that Romans, he says, the kingdom of God is right living and it's peace and it's joy in the spirit. Is that what you're experiencing together? The kingdom of heaven is right living and peace and joy in the spirit. It's not just the salvation of souls, it's life that starts now. I got to tell you, I do not always understand that. But I understand that somehow God is saying that if I am acting as if I'm part of the kingdom of heaven here, then God is at work in me and around me. How many of you saw Joseph of the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? It was apparently more popular than Genesis 40 to 50. It told the story of Joseph, who wanted to follow the one God, who wanted to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. His brothers thought that he was an arrogant jerk. They sold him as a slave. He goes into Egypt. He gets thrown into prison. And by an incredibly circuitous route, he ends up at the right hand of the Pharaoh. And as the right hand of the Pharaoh, he walks, watches as his brothers walk in through the palace doors, needing help. They don't even recognize him. And he saves them and all their descendants. And when they're terrified because they recognize their brother... He says, don't worry, you meant it to me for evil, but God meant it to me for good. That is not to say that every bad thing that happened, God wants to know. It means that in every bad thing, every good thing, every confusing thing, God is at work. Those of us who belong to the colony of heaven keep acting differently than the rest of the world because we believe that God is at work no matter how it looks. Because God is the one who says to the world, you meant it for evil, but I, I meant it for good. Martin Luther once said, God can shoot with a warped bow and ride a lame horse and hit the target every time. You and I are not supposed to be sitting here going, that's not God's will, that's the devil's will. We're supposed to just being faithful children, confident that God Somehow, sometime means it for good. Thy kingdom come. That's hope. That's hope. Thy kingdom is coming. Everything's going to be good. That's hope. Then he says, thy will be done. That calls for patience. And I'm much better with hope than I am with patience. But it's not working out perfect, is it? This kingdom is supposed to be coming, but that's hope. And I wait with impatience. Because I look around and I see a world that seems to be going to hell. How come 
How come it's not working out? A friend showed me Tom Wright. Tom Wright said that it doesn't look right because Jesus is the medical genius that has discovered penicillin. And we're medics. We've been given the cure, and our job now is to share it with others who are sick. Jesus is the musical genius who wrote the greatest symphony of all time, and we are musicians, and we've been captivated by the music. We're learning to perform it in a world filled with elevator music and noise. It is already here. It is not yet what it will be. What will that kingdom look like? If it were to be the whole world, if joy came to the whole world, what might it look like? John Orpard tried to describe it one time, and I asked a couple of friends of mine, Joe and Jenny, if they would share with you what the kingdom of God might look like if it was from sea to shining sea. The kingdom of God will change everything. In that economy, there are no human needs. Economics will no longer be a gloomy science. It would be like saying, in the kingdom of heaven, every day the stock market, if it still existed, would go up and to the right. The bull will live on Wall Street forever. The bear will visit no more. The Fed will never have to raise interest rates again. Little children in the Sudan will feast and have carpeted bedrooms and private baths. In the day when God's kingdom really does come, never again will anyone hunger. Never again will they thirst. Think what that would look like. No more pictures of little children with swollen bellies. No long lines in Haiti. No mothers trying to scrounge enough food so their babies will be able to survive another day. The jobless rate all over the world will go down to zero and stay there. And everybody will love what they do. That's the kingdom of God. For us, politics is mostly the story of human conflict. But in the kingdom of God, Isaiah says that God will judge between the nations. God will settle all disputes. God will be there, and they will beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks, and there will be no more war, no more fighting, no more hatred, no more illegal aliens. There won't be boundaries, no more suicide bombers. And the lion will lie down with the lamb, and in that day the dog will make peace with the rabbit. And in the kingdom of God, everything will be beautiful. The book of Revelation says that the streets of the city of God's kingdom are paved with pure gold, and that when you come into that city, there is a huge pearl. You walk right through this huge, perfectly carved pearl. It's the kingdom where human hunger for beauty is finally satisfied. No more pollution, no more ghettos, no more barrios. In that kingdom, the pictures that little children draw that you and I stick up on our refrigerators will look like Rembrandts and Van Goghs and Vermeers. There will be beauty and we will know beauty. In that city, beauty will come to teenage girls. Teenage girls in that city will look at magazine covers and then they will look in the mirror and they will think to themselves, I look just right. Because (laughs) there they will celebrate the beauty that God sees in them when he looks at all his children. Whatever their shape or size or color, children will look in the mirror and say, I am good. 
In that kingdom, the perfect will of God will become our daily reality. And it will be life, life to the full. May May that that kingdom kingdom come come on on earth earth as as it is is in heaven. heaven. Amen and amen. I lean for, I've heard that four or five times now and every time I'm going, yes, that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's what I hunger for. How does it come? It starts when people pledge their allegiance who say, yes, God, I want that to happen here and now in small ways and big. We're trying to make it so that our seeing God this day through prayer is something that takes us through the week. And we're trying to offer you a reminder of that each week. We've got a coaster that we've got at the end of the pew there. This one's green for week number two with this phrase on it. And like last week, we say, take this coaster home. Put it in your bathroom, your bedroom, your kitchen, on your refrigerator, so that when you pass it, it will help you to pray on the back It offers the idea of surrendering your old citizenship and becoming a child of the king. Make it come to life. You see, if it was part of Jesus' task to teach his followers to pray this way, part of our task is to teach the world to pray that way. How does it happen? Well, in, in Luke's gospel, Jesus waits until his followers ask him how they should pray. And the reason that they asked Jesus was because they saw what he was doing. The reason they asked Jesus how he prayed is because they saw how he was living. There is a lesson there. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come to these people in this place, these sisters and brothers, that we might together hail you as the king, that we might come and with you start a colony of heaven that will bless the earth. And that when we pray this prayer, we will pledge our heart and soul, our mind and our strength to loving you and following your name. Amen.